In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Welcome to the Hero Series and this special program with Dr. Susie Anthony, its creator. She was recently quoted, The world is in trouble, and so are we. We're trapped in materialism, unsatisfying, but addictive. We're destroying the planet and ourselves, and we lack real purpose and passion in our lives, and we need a miracle. Susie Anthony's award-winning revelatory personal development book, A Map to God, comes with the answer, describing an ancient pathway, mysterious but powerful, that represents a golden thread running through many spiritual traditions. It offers a map of the stages of spiritual awakening, overcoming our problems and shadow defects along the way, which can lead us to become our enlightened best selves. Susie Anthony's life as a cocaine-binging, jet-setting businesswoman was turned around by an incredible series of near-death experiences that took her beyond the five senses deep into the realm of soul. She now dedicates her life to marrying ancient wisdom with modern Western psychological success principles, providing initiations everyone can use to overcome inner conflicts, cast out fears, and find the miracle of true love and genuine happiness. With the Hero Series, Dr. Susie Anthony is now bravely taking this great work one step further. She's identified true modern-day heroes from all walks of life and is guiding these extraordinary people as to how to weave their own personal hero's journey story and experiences into Joseph Campbell's prescription of what she terms conscious mythical living. Dr. Susie Anthony. Dr. Susie Anthony, welcome back to In Discussion and our wonderful hero series. Thank you, David. And I, I know how our guests must be feeling now because my knees are starting to knock. <laughs> <laughs> you are definitely in the hot seat. This is very important I know for both of us especially for you in providing your own story as a template for the hero series that is very much underway today our first of three programs and I think that I would like to open this by providing your or one of your quotes and you can let me know if you concur with that as being the best choice I will ask you to compliment that afterwards. In all the world, there is nothing more powerful than a single soul who has reconnected to the hero inside. And whatever this heroic soul achieves, lifetime after lifetime, through listening to his or her intuition, or as you say, inner tuition, being willing to buck the system, speaking inconvenient truths, making the sacrifices and taking the risks uplifts the rest of humanity eternally. This is how important it is that each one of us remembers and reconnects to the hero inside. Would you say, Susie, that that is very much how you define the hero series? Really and truly, yes. Oscar Wilde said that every saint has a past and every sinner a future. And I really think that that remark sums up the hero's journey beautifully in that it's all about achieving wholeness, which is something literally anyone could do if they're willing to break down, to break through, mind you. And without doubt for me, all the most meaningful experiences in my life came from embracing my failures, 
confronting my mistakes and really surrendering to my heartbreak and pain. And this has been my direct experience. And this concept forms the core of my own particular style of, of teachings around the hero's journey, especially. What I learned from the movie Sea Biscuit is you don't have to throw a whole life away just because you messed up a little or even a lot. And what I've learned from confronting all the chaos in my life and in our world today, David, is that the person who wrote the nursery rhymes lied because it is possible to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And through the hero's journey, I'm sharing how. Legendary scholar Joseph Campbell's map of the hero's journey really does give us a very clear template in terms of how to create and live powerful and authentic lives, fully awake, aware, and conscious. And all I've done, really, is just to tweak the map, evolve it, expand it, weave in some wisdoms, techniques, and spiritual knowledge that I was really blessed to receive through direct knowing following a series of near-death experiences about 18 years ago now. And I might add, actually, as well, I've also put in tons of study, masses of hard work, and then submitted to the real test of actually living the techniques in community. And my God, I wonder sometimes how I'm still standing. But only a rare few people may get this kind of tuition from their families, David. And most religions, schools, universities, these institutions seldom offer powerful insights. And the result of all the ignorance is broken people, broken marriages, broken lives, and broken belief systems. People are in pain, yet they don't even know it. They're so busy or so lost in what I call the matrix of do, have, consume, distract. So how on earth will people cope with all the climate changes, the financial crises, and other global challenges still to come? when they can't cope with their own basic personal challenges and they have no real training other than the basic program on earth which is resist change, pursue pleasure, deny and avoid pain. This is why I created the Heroes series with your collaboration David to help inspire everyone on earth to really be their best, find the best in themselves, to live their best lives to be the hero. In saying all of that, is it important today when we see so much chaos in the world for people to be of the realization that they have to go through this process in order to survive what we're seeing as a very changing and evolutionary process in the world today? Yeah, the solutions to the problems in the ordinary world don't exist at our ordinary level of experience, David. We have to gain access to the special world, to higher levels of consciousness, super consciousness, where all the solutions, all the answers to our problems do exist. However, the work to access those higher realms is immense. Susie, I'm going to endeavor to set the scene for this very special landmark hero's journey interview and your own life story spanning from a childhood of extreme lack and poverty rejection and abandonment to the attainment of this fabulous wealth and the riches that you found beyond your dreams to hitting a spectacular crack cocaine rock bottom where you overdosed on Good Friday 1992, died and experienced resurrection into what you describe as a world between the worlds. And you say that just like a shaman, you have been walking between the worlds for almost 18, 20 years and through grace and all kinds of truly astonishing divine dispensations linked to your near-death inertory experiences. 
and you've been continually blessed with incredible gifts and tools for this transformation. And I believe that you asked your guides why this was happening to you. And the answer was that we've reached a crucial crossroads in human evolution, as we had mentioned a short while ago, a collective choice point. You were guided through a chain of what psychologist Carl Jung would call synchronistic events to profoundly powerful spiritual and psychological teachings. And in that you were guided to truly authentic spiritual people, avatars, masters and shamans who all recognized your awakening state at that stage. And each teacher was expert in his or her own field and was able to assist you to heal a different part of yourself. And you accessed these powerful tools to begin to open up and reconnect to the hero inside. You then began to heal others in turn, especially, as you've mentioned, in community, but realized in time to beware of the healing trap and that there is no magical instant healing fix. And you say it's about each and every one of us learning how to take responsibility for our own reconnection to the hero inside. And through profound direct experiences, divine interventions combined with single pointed focus and the sheer hard work and the study and the research that you've gone through and influenced heavily by the work of great visionaries from all kinds of scientific and spiritual and psychological traditions, you became convinced, I think, that the shamanic and mystical view of reality had validity and that the modern world, just like you, had forfeited an understanding of intuitive aspects of being. And in its pursuit of rational materialism, which I think is a very important point, you suggest that this is how the collective became disconnected from or forgot all about the hero inside and conscious mythical living and I'd like to talk about that mythical living in a bit more detail and waking up to the hero and that conscious mythical living you suggest involves four main stages of personal transformation from this unconscious incompetence where we don't know we don't know to conscious incompetence where we know we don't know and have to think about it, to conscious competence where we know we know but still have to think about it, to unconscious competence, this illuminated state where we know we know and we no longer have to think about it. And I realize the South American and African shamanic teachings that you embody and live also interpret the hero's journey through these four stages, awakening, departure, tests, and illumination that you write into this hero series. And I know that Susie 2010 has been the year you've finally taken all this incredible knowledge and simplified it for mass consumption, weaving all kinds of alchemical, shamanic, psychological, and practical wisdoms into and around the life stories of the incredible heroes you are sourcing for the hero series, and now today into your own personal hero's journey. So, Susie, after 10 months of working on the hero series with you as a relative newcomer to the heroic way and conscious mythical living, I'm really beginning to comprehend personally where I'm in my own personal journey of awakening and transformation, and you have assured that for me. By slowing down every day to consider where I've come from with these powerful insights gained from all this contemplation that I go through 24 hours a day, and I can be prepared for and feel I can cope with just about anything, and that's the blessing behind this incredible synthesis of teachings and the hero series. Would you like to follow up on that statement, Susie, complement that with your feelings to this? Thanks, dude. You know, my hero, one of my heroes, Joseph Campbell, really did sum it up incredibly simply, actually, when he 
told us all to follow our passion so that we could find our bliss and that this is where our abundance would also be discovered. And this really has proved true for me and for many others now who I've mentored along the way. Yet before any new life can come into being, Campbell also made it fundamentally clear that we need to shed the skins of our old lives. And Peter Gabriel, another hero, made the song Sledgehammer and talked to shedding the skins. And it's about shedding our false beliefs, our conditioning and patterning, conscious and unconscious. But like we've already discussed, what if we don't know that we're asleep? I mean, at least Helen Keller knew she was blind and deaf. Whereas so many people today are lost in the matrix, that do have consume, distract. And they really don't know. They don't know. They truly have no idea whatsoever that there's something more, something much better, something far less boring, something far more powerful than that. Yet like I did 18 years ago, they're resisting setting themselves free because after all, this involves radical self-honesty, a lot of pain. It's very tiring as well. And it's about taking risks, making sacrifices. And I guess that's really scary stuff for most people, David. What do you reckon? Well, I would agree, Susie. And I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're trying to attain here with the Hero Series is an opportunity to find a way for people without going down that catalytic road where you reach a point of no return. So I, I think what you're trying to do here is arrest any further movement down that cascade. Well, Campbell said all you need is a map and a teacher. So I've been teaching this stuff now for 13 years all over the world. Before that, I was studying it and applying it to my own life and my own transformations. And the map is the hero's journey. It's perfect. It's very, very simple. It just isn't easy because it involves going out of our comfort zones through our own personal pain barriers with a guarantee of absolutely nothing as we jump into the void. So, are you ready? Shall we go? <laughs> well, I think at this juncture where we already have some amazing programs behind us, this will serve such a wonderful purpose in concentrating people as to what you're doing here with these 12 stages. And the first one is the ordinary world. This is where the heroes normal world before the story begins and Susie you certainly had all kinds of supernatural experiences as a child uh, and mostly concerned with these protective warnings of imminent danger and your normal world before the story begins was also somewhat unusual uh, can you define that can you paint a picture of that for our listeners it was really a combination of magical mystical and mundane i was born in 1957 just outside glastonbury which is sometimes referred to as england's holiest land and at about age 10 i first remember having mystical experiences where benevolent inner voices guided me out of harm's way. And then at grammar school, subsequently, we dabble with the Ouija board and the message would always be for me and it would always be the same guide, Tom or Artem. And imagine my surprise some 30 years later to find that Tom or Artem is the spokesman for a group of superconscious beings some form of higher intelligence here to save the planet, as written about by Dr. Phyllis Schlemmer in her book, The Only Planet of Choice. And their teachings, by the way, became the template for Gene Rodenbury's Star Trek 
series because Rodenbury was one of Dr. Schlemmer's students. Just amazing stuff. I have to admit, too, that I was completely fascinated with UFOs and beings from other worlds, cosmology and Arthurian legend and ancient wisdoms. And I, I was always drawn to these subjects from a, a very early age. So the majesty of the mystical and the pain of the mundane were both very present in my life very early on. And in the mundane world, my parents divorced when I was about 13. And I remember, you'll laugh at this, I was the only person in school who had divorced parents. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> and my mother and I lost everything. And the fear of lack, the terror actually, drove me to determine that I'd amass as much money as possible as soon as I could when I grew up, like... Most people on this planet, I had mistakenly married safety and security to material wealth and possessions, bricks and mortar. And that's a misperception I carried with me well into my mid-30s. And I think it was Lily Tomlin who said, you know, even if you win in the rat race, you're still a rat. But of course, I didn't know that at age 13. But anyway, thanks, Lily, for teaching me. So by... By virtue of my sheer determination and I suppose persistence to be as re rich as I possibly could and in order to be as safe as I possibly could, by 1990, I ended up working for Takahashi Harunori, the fifth richest man on earth, whose net asset worth then was around about $30 billion. And Takahashi was also a samurai. And through totally immersing myself in Japanese culture, I began to learn about sacred concepts like Bushido, honor, and giri obligation. And that in Japan, yes means maybe and maybe means no. And I was lucky I immersed myself in all sorts of cultures around the Pacific Rim when I was working with him. And in my life, I've been able to do that. I've lived in America. I've lived in South Africa, Japan, Hong Kong, Australia. Anyway, it was all very glamorous. And I amassed all kinds of external symbols of power and found this all initially incredibly heady and satisfying. But after a while began to wear thin. The novelty wore off and I began to feel a growing dissatisfaction with my life and how it was turning out. Basically, I was bored and still unfulfilled to my surprise, shock and horror. This just wasn't it. I had imagined that being so successful, so powerful, I would feel happy, but I didn't. And little did I know that perhaps in taking the road of pursuing material power, perhaps I was even unconsciously trying to avoid my destiny, which I'm living now. But that's exactly the road where my true destiny lay, my true power, reconnecting to the hero inside. This disappointment with material power and wealth I think was definitely my call to awaken to the hero's journey. And to just fill you in on the mystical wisdoms around this, at the onset of any kind of transformation, we find ourselves at the stage of what the shamans call the awakening, where we're still thinking of ourselves as an adolescent and not an adult, or as a single person and not a spouse, or a paragon of health and not a patient with a disease. And then something happens that shakes that world view up. Our eyes open and nothing is ever the same again. And we continue to try to cling to our old ego persona selves, fearful usually of what's going to happen if we shed the skins of the past to reconnect to the better self waiting to emerge, the hero. And incidentally, it's interesting to note that much, much of our gross domestic product is generated by businesses which all consciously profit from our ambivalence and confusion and trepidation during this stage of awakening. 
for example, the fashion and cosmetics industries, plastic surgery, the leisure industry, and also the wedding industrial complex, as I call it. And these corporations actually prey on and feed off our insecurities and, by the way, reap huge profit. So what's going on under the surface when we get the call? It's always about some kind of psychological death, and that's a scary thing too. And archetypal or psychological death isn't usually a literal death, a physical death, although it sometimes feels as if we may be physically dying. And for me, uh, like the true shame, and this has included a series of near-death experiences. But this symbolic archetypal death, which is part of every initiation, growth, or transformation process, is like a free fall into the great abyss of the unknown. And what it does include is the death of old ideas, of limited, outmoded beliefs that don't work for the hero self in formation anymore. And the hero has to be willing, this is the test, to let go of everything and anything that no longer serves the new self-forming. So people, places, things, just let go. And this takes radical trust and tremendous courage. It's all about taking that blind, empty-handed leap of faith into the void with an expectation of no thing. And this isn't an everyday occurrence for someone living in the do-have-consume-distract. As a prelude to a new type of mythic journey or life, the hero's journey, archetypal death requires abandoning all the old maps that once helped us to navigate our lives in ego but don't work anymore. And so often, we get into a rut, and we fight like hell to cling to the old ways. I know I did. Even though they no longer served the new hero I was becoming, who was emerging. And that's what happened to me in Japan. And it, it would seem that most of the heroes I've interviewed so far on the Hero series also identify strongly with this initial resistance before we move on to the second stage uh-huh it's amazing the way that you've just defined this journey because it is so well connected with where the world is today in so many ways global ways and in your case it, it no doubt took a death or this traumatic journey to find yourself and yet everything that you talk about in this conditioning about the corporate mansion in checking us all the time in ensuring that we stay inside this box of materialism is probably more evident today than it has ever been would you concur with that Susie I would I have to say sometimes it's quite difficult to leave the manor house because it's such a peaceful sanctuary here based in truth and based in leadership but through serving others and through learning to live in harmony with ourselves, with our innermost selves, with others, with the land, with the rhythms and cycles of nature and then you go out and you see a whole bunch of people in the do have consumed, distract, consuming designer labels and gadgets and codependent relationships and thinking yeah this is going to work and it's horrifying when you know oh my god it's not going to work you're really going to suffer but it's also feeling compassion for these chaotic influences and the ignorance that takes us nicely into the second stage the call to adventure and this is where the hero is presented with a problem a challenge or adventure and once presented with a call to adventure the hero can no longer remain indefinitely in that comfort zone that you talk about of the ordinary world and the call to adventure establishes the stakes of the game and makes clear the real hero's goal 
to right a wrong, achieve a dream, or change a life. What is it, Susie, do you believe that makes ordinary people heroes? Is it a guidance, a decision, or a moment in time? And most importantly, do we all have that? Well, I'd like to suggest that it's all of the above, and at the same time, none of the above. It's about choice points, and heroes always recognize the choice points. They somehow have learned to know instinctively which bridges to cross and which bridges to burn, even if it's sometimes that they have to receive a kick in the pants from a friendly mentor along the way in order to respond. And the best way to talk about choice points, to explain what choice points are as opposed to decisions. It always puzzled me in the Bible, the phrase, many are called and few are chosen. I didn't know really what that meant. And after years of study, I realized that, and, and experience too, I realized that we're all called to reconnect to the hero inside. When we experience some kind of awakening or initiation from life but not all of us choose to respond to it and in fact I've noticed only a courageous few take action to change and actually become the hero and live the hero way and embrace conscious mythical living so what I've learned and I write about this in my book A Map to God that each and every one of us has at least one life-changing event be it the death of a loved one, divorce, redundancy, or something that causes the personality to meet the hero. And at this time, we're given the opportunity to choose which voice we're going to listen to in order to live, hopefully, the second part of our lives in a much bolder, more powerful way, embracing greatness and the hero. And when we choose to reconnect to the hero inside, to follow the path of the soul, love, strength, and balance, instead of the ego, comfort, profit, and greed, which you've heard me banging on program after program, we'll always find, always, 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 we'll find an unfoldment of a life far greater than we could have anticipated, which we definitely, in the ordinary scheme of things, in the ordinary world, we didn't see coming, or even dream could ever be possible. So therefore, the hero begins to recognize that loss, pain, and suffering are gifts, that they put us back in touch with others and their pain and loss and suffering, and that's where our greatness is. Martin Luther King said, one of my favorite quotes, is that we're prone to judge success by the index of our salaries or the size of our cars rather than by the quality of our service and relationship to mankind. Greatness, he said, isn't about fame and fortune. It's about serving others. And it's what I'm living. It's what I believe. It's what I know. And I've come to know that the call to the hero's journey always comes in a choice point. And the ultimate choice point for the hero's journey is to choose to transform me thinking into we thinking. And my own personal call to the hero's journey came in the form of a powerful, powerful challenge. The monster I had to slay was the monster of addiction to crack cocaine, probably one of the most highly addictive substances on the planet. And I came to realize that was my primary addiction. But what was more shocking to me was that I'd grown up around my brother's famous music business friends who, many of them, used drugs excessively. People with incredible genius, people like Freddie Mercury, Jimi Hendrix, David Bowie. And my brother was also an addict, and this scared the pants off me. And I loved the music business too, but I didn't accept the job offer from my brother to work in that industry because of my fear of drugs. It was amazing that I would then choose that path as a path of initiation to wake myself up. This is at the stage after you've gone through this terrible binge yourself with drugs. I became a cocaine addict, yeah, I did. And 
the amazing thing was after my hitting rock bottom and experiencing a divine intervention in the form of entering a higher world, a world between worlds, I call it, and being taken through a 12-step program type life review by an archangel who called himself Michael. And bearing in mind, I wasn't a religious person. This was the last thing I imagined would happen to me. Through Michael's intervention, I began to realize in this altered state of consciousness, this holotropic state, that I was extremely dysfunctional around all kinds of things. I came to realize that cocaine was a primary addiction, but I had all sorts of secondary addictions. And I was extremely codependent, if you like, where the fix you get isn't from a drug. It's seeking another person's love or attention and approval. And in order to get that, I was very devious and manipulative in all my relationships to guarantee I got the fix from the other person. I was given to understand that I was dishonest. I was afraid of rejection and abandonment, therefore needy and clingy. I became a people pleaser. Also, I rejected people before they could reject me. I was superficial, I was shallow, I was angry, greedy, afraid, lustful, lazy. The list went on and on and on. My only credo for living was, I'll show you who I'm with and you tell me who I am. Because, you see, I didn't have any idea who I was. And thanks to all the programming in magazines and films, I was heavily addicted to image, status, power, money. I became a workaholic to feed these addictions. And I became very good at all of this as well. And I made lots of money and bought lots of things. I did have some positive qualities, but not very consistent, I do admit. The long and the short of it was that no matter how much money I had, no matter what fancy car I drove, how big my house was, whatever the designer labels I wore, no matter how much cocaine I consumed, no matter if I was in a relationship or a marriage, whether it was my own marriage or someone else's, because I didn't care, by the way, I never felt good enough. I never felt loved. And talk therapy didn't work because I was too heavily entrenched in my denials and denial the definition of denial is don't even notice I am lying so I kept on with the cocaine I kept on overworking I continued the codependent relationships all the do have consumed stuff because at least this took the pain and all the fear away and that's why I feel compassion when I look into the world today and see this has escalated to an even greater degree I just know that these people are in pain. But ultimately for me, I had to keep taking more drugs, higher doses and more frequently until I was completely and utterly lost in addiction. And I didn't care about anything or anyone anymore except where I'd get the next drugs from. I lied, I cheated and stole to get drugs. I sold diamonds for drugs, cars for drugs, houses for drugs. And then one day I found the peace that surpassed this all understanding. I'd overdosed and I was dead. And I entered, I now know, Joseph Campbell's special world beyond the realm of the five senses. And Archangel Michael took me through this life review and was mentoring me to come back to live the hero way. And I did. And this mentoring still takes place today. And that was my personal awakening caused by all kinds of ignorance, chaos, pain, and utter dysfunction. A life lived in ego, chasing comfort, profit, greed. Whereas really what I truly needed was instructions to live the hero way, to live coming from love, strength, and balance. But where, David, are all the teachings about this powerful, authentic way of living? They certainly weren't in my Bibles at that time, which were Harper's, Cosmo, Vogue, and Tatler. And more's the shame, they still aren't really readily available. There are so many books around 
that tell you, do this or do that and you'll be powerful. But they don't tell you how. And they certainly don't offer you the sanctuary of a community where you can test if you're living this or if it's just a mind trip. So, I know, and David as well, what I wanted to talk about, there is definitely in the world today a kind of collective awakening. Things have got worse. And so the call to the hero's journey is even louder. And when I met Al Gore recently, we talked about our understanding that history really is presenting us with a powerful and unique choice point. There's that word again, choice point. And in ignorance, in separation from spirit, the hero inside, he agreed we've created a culture of distraction, that we haven't been able to see the global writing on the wall, and that we have all kinds of planetary emergencies on our hands, all kinds of crises. Old systems and beliefs are breaking down and new systems are coming into being, but they're not yet formed. So to ease this transition, we have to find a way, he agreed with me, to create in everyone alive today a sense of generational mission. And it's my deepest and most profound wish that the teachings woven into the Hero series will help accomplish this by showing people all the how-to of embracing conscious mythical living, that people will learn that the hero's journey is mythical and yet it's also very real. And this essentially means that the hero series is a practical guide to people elevating themselves up and out of this society that we live in today, this do-consume society. And as you say, it's all choice points. And the more help that they can, can be given, uh, the quicker that that process is going to be. I would certainly agree with you, Susie, that there is a developing consciousness occurring all over the world. But I'd also agree with you that there are not a lot of good reference points to find that. I think that you have to find that in yourself. And certainly through the levels of the hero journey that you're providing here, the refusal of the core, and the hero refuses the challenge or journey, usually due to fear, and here the hero is not really committed to the adventure, and keeps thinking of turning back some other influence, a change in circumstances, or a further offense against the natural order of things, or the encouragement of a mentor that's required to move beyond that fear, Susie, I'll give you one of your favorite quotes to consider, that all it takes for evil to persist is for good men to do nothing. Would you say that your own lifestyle with Ishisaki and Takahashi in Japan was indeed evil? And if so, Susie, were you aware of this kind of anti-hero dare, I say evil, influence on the same level? Well, renowned psychiatrist M. Scott Peck describes evil as militant ignorance. And I agree with that wholeheartedly, where people are so anchored in their comfort zones, they just don't want to see what's right under their own noses. And when courageous people come along to shock us out of this denial with their inconvenient truth, we tend to ignore them, then we laugh at them, then we ridicule them, then we fight them. And there's a quote from one of my favorite movies, The Matrix, again, where Morpheus explains to Neo exactly this. And he says something, words to the effect, the Matrix is a system, and that system is our enemy. But when you're inside, you look around, what do you see? You see businessmen, teachers, lawyers, and carpenters, the very minds of the people we're trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system, and that makes them our enemy. You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged, and many of them are so inured, so hopelessly dependent on the system, that they will fight to protect it. 
Well, looking back on my time in Japan, I certainly didn't consider that I was evil, though I have to say I was definitely surrounded by all the ingredients of evil, fear, greed, lust, envy, rage, pride, hatred. I was competitive, judgmental and attacking and surrounded by others who mirrored that behavior. It was all there, but I guess I was so busy living a lie, I just didn't know it and I certainly didn't recognize it as evil. I thought, really, this stuff was just normal, everyday, par for the course. But because I was working so incredibly hard to fit in with everyone else, I didn't know anything else existed except this. And so I'd been programmed to be successful and that in order to achieve success, I had to compete, judge, attack, deny pain, pursue pleasure, resist change and win at all costs. And, you know, we all receive this same programming from our parents, from educational institutions and corporations and even religions. And when you don't know any better, you can't do any better. And then, of course, I did begin to realize that there was a better way. I didn't know about the hero way, but I was having a kind of a rumbling of conscience somewhere deep inside me. And yet at the same time, there was this fear. I was terrified of leaving what I knew, even though it didn't work and I wasn't happy, because it was comfortable. And I felt paralyzed with fear, fear of the unknown, fear of stepping into an uncertain future. And in ego, to be truthful, I really worried that people would think I was weak or that I'd failed and I couldn't cope. In retrospect, these were my own thoughts about my own situation. I can remember going to thousand-dollar-a-head dinners 18 years ago and asking people, are you happy with that big new diamond and that big new house and that holiday you just took in Brian Ferry's villa in Tuscany? And they maintained they were. But these things were certainly no longer making me happy, and I didn't know why. I just couldn't understand it. And what have I learned about that? I learned that comparing your insides to somebody else's outsides never works. But that's what I was doing. I was hoping somebody else would be honest enough to say, well, actually, it isn't working for me either. But that just didn't happen. So I took more drugs to numb out my pain so I could perpetuate the lie and stuff down my feelings and all this weirdness that was coming out of me. And if this is evil, well, evil is it's just lived, spelt backwards. And I was living my life back to front with false values, a false identity, and false external symbols of power. With what I know now about evil, from all kinds of mentoring and study, it's about our own intentionality that creates great good or great evil in this world. There is no secret fountain of evil or good. There's only energy. And what we project onto this energy defines it. And David, that's why it's so critically important that we work to dismantle the lie of ego, shadow, and persona so that our thoughts and feelings and emotions can be mastered. And thus our projections into the dream of the web of our lives are always in our own control. They're always the most powerful and positive that we can possibly conceive. Yet we have to be awake, aware, present, and fully conscious in order to succeed in this. It's either Buddha or Gandhi said, happiness is when what we think and what we say and what we do are in harmony and for the greatest good. And I would add to that that I suppose evil is when what we think and say and do and not in harmony, and only serve the self. Well, that brings us to the end of this first program. We've covered nicely three of the first stages. It seems to me now, very focused on this, that the third stage, the refusal of the call, is probably one of the most important, is it not? It absolutely is. It's where you have to dig deep inside of yourself to buck the system. It's calling for a blind, empty-handed leap of faith into the void with an expectation of no thing. 
whilst that is probably the most scary thing any of us will ever do, because there's a guarantee of nothing, it's the leap of faith which will give us all the rewards in terms of personal growth and mastery, self-mastery, that we can then begin to dream the life through facing our fears, dream the life and live the life we've always wanted to. Susie, it has been a great pleasure starting this Hero Series with you today. We recommence tomorrow with our second program, fourth stage, meeting with the mentor. It's been a huge honor. I do thank you and look forward to joining you again on our next program. And thank you, David. To our listeners today, I do hope that you have enjoyed this program as much as I. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. You can also visit the Hero Series at theheroesseries.com. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Come.